Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway. The Friday edition. We've made it. Six in the Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Jam-packed show. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, which includes our channel on YouTube. We hope you'll subscribe to the channel by searching out Outkick there on YouTube. Also, give us the thumbs up, like the channel, like the feed, and, of course, ring that bell so you know we go live each and every weekday at this exact time. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Excited to be here. Watching a documentary right now on FDR on History Channel. I want to dive right into okay. this, okay? Yeah. In 1936, did you know, presidential election, FDR won every single state. There were 48 at the time in the United States. Won every state but Vermont and Maine. Carried 46 of 48 states. Hutton, I feel like sports combined with the two of us can unite this country just like FDR did back in 1936. That's the comparison I want to make today. The new we deal. We are FDR in 1936. This is the new deal. <laughs> this show is going to dominate, much like the Tennessee Valley Authority dominated. I hate to and tell gave you. people jobs. We're far that from that. That is what we're about today. That far is what we are going to do. There's no new deal on clickbait BS. We will emanate positivity throughout today's show. That is what we're going to do. Instead of eliminating American jobs, much like FDR and the New Deal, <laughs> what this show will do is create jobs. We're going to create optimism. We're going to bring people together. We're going to be a master orator throughout the show. This is my promise to you. This is the excitement we'll bring on this show. We will close out this week strong, stronger than you have ever seen on this show, on this network, on this Friday. That is is my solemn promise to you. And if I could speak to America this way for one second. You're speaking to them. I could carry 48 of 50 states, much like FDR carried 46 of 48 states back in 1936. Hutton, what is first on our agenda today? Let's get well, after it. Uh, the New Deal, I, I guess we could call it a New Deal for Ja Morant and, and the NBA. Adam Silver and the association laid down their suspension today. As predicted, it was right after the NBA Finals which I agreed with. They didn't take attention off of the finals. And they did it after the parade that anointed the Nuggets champions in their city. They didn't take away any of the, of the buzz from the Nuggets championship victory. 25 games is the suspension for Ja Morant from the NBA. And it includes parameters and conditions that must be met in order for Morant to be back into the, the league, back into the schedule. Based on 25 games, if the schedule is virtually the exact same as last year, it puts him back around the second week of December, middle of December at worst. And there are parameters where he has to, you know, abide by and, and, and check off in order for Silver to let him back in. I, I think this could have been accomplished by just saying indefinite suspension. 25 games or not, indefinite suspension would allow the parameters to be met 
regardless of a timetable. Because right now, everyone's expecting him back by the time the regular season actually begins. The tip-off, the unofficial tip-off, at least for me, has always been around Christmas Day. And that's whenever the Grizzlies get their, their star player, their max contract guy, John Morant, back in. I don't hate this suspension, though, based on the monetary aspects and the detriment to his bank account and the message that it should send, I'm not saying it will, should send to one of the best players in the NBA about conduct detrimental to the league. His previous suspension of eight games was on a previous contract, and it um, amounted to roughly $600,000, give or take. 25 games on the new contract, which will be enforced and, and it goes into effect this coming NBA season on the max deal, the five-year contract that he signed, that's going to cost him $7 million. In comparison, if you go around the league and look at some fines, Donald Sterling and the entire saga with the Clippers, he was fined $2.5 million. I get it. He, sell, he was able to sell the Clippers. He got away with $2 billion at the end of all this. But in terms of maximum fines that we've seen, $2.5 million to the ownership there, plus $3.5 million, that's the, that's the most the NBA has fined a franchise. The Minnesota Timberwolves were fined $3.5 million for tampering on uh, a player years ago. Point being, I, I don't see this as light, but I also will view it differently if he's just automatically back in like he was the last time after a, a drive-through consultation down in Florida for management issues on, on, on how to handle himself. But here's the other thing to take into account. The suspension, I think, is viewed as 25 games. The suspension starts now. And this guy couldn't make it two months after the last time he met with Commissioner Adam Silver before he did it again, before he was flashing a gun live on social media. And whatever excuse, there are no, no more excuses for John Morant in the eyes of the NBA. Actions now speak louder than words regardless of whatever statement or whatever statement chat GPT wrote for him this time, it doesn't hold any weight based on the way they handed this down. I, 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 I understand that 25 games seems light whenever the discussion was half a season, full season. They're going to come down hard. But when you look at the, the, the monetary aspect of it, combined with whatever they're going to lay out for him. As long as they are real about that, this should be John Morant proving that he can go from June until December without doing anything. I don't believe he can. Because we've been talking about this dude every month doing something, something else for a year. So if he can prove between now and December that he can stay off the social media landscape, he can stay off of the headlines... And out of the, you know, the, the, the waving of the firearms and doing things that Silver pointed out in a statement that he, he, he feared that others looking up to him would mock and repeat. If he can actually do that, then the NBA will let him play. If not, he's not coming back by December. They will extend this. That's not in the statement, but it's clear he can't get away with this anymore based on the way Silver laid things out. I think the the suspension that I was looking for, expecting, was at least half a season. So we're talking about the difference between 16 games, which is significant. So I'm not going to sit here and say 25 games is nothing. But he got off easy. 
25 games to me is getting off easy in this deal for John Moran. Well, now, it it's not nothing. He lost $36 million this past year because he would have had an automatic escalator to a super max deal if he was first team all NBA, which he was not because of his suspensions. So he cost himself $36 million this past season. He's going to cost himself, I think, the number $7 million over the first 25 games of this season. It's significant financially, sure. Could have been more significant had it been half a season. Could have been a lot more significant had it been a full season. NBA Players Association is saying, too harsh. It's too harsh for penalty. Of course they are. They have That's to what they're say supposed that. to say. They're the union. Yeah. They're going to come out and say it's too harsh. He didn't break any laws. He's not been charged with a crime, yada, yada, yada. Bottom line is this. I don't believe John ja Morant right now. The apology and statement he released after the NBA released their statement is word for word what he said back when the whole investigation happened with the Pacers and the red laser pointer being focused on the team bus, back when he had the first issue with the gun in the strip club. This all sounds the exact same. I don't believe him. I don't think many people believe Ja Morant right now. Now, the good news for Morant is he can go and prove us wrong. He can go make us believe in him again. That's the beauty of second, third, fourth chances. And that's what he's getting right now. So if he keeps his nose clean and has no problems for the next year, and he goes out and he's a great teammate and a great player again this NBA season, I'll start believing well, John Moran a little bit more again. But here's where I actually agree with Silver. And I think the, the part of his statement, and we're not going to read John Morant's because, again, like it's actions more than words. But Silver's statement this time is different than the one he released last time after meeting with him back in March. Um, for Ja, this, this is the point that I think Silver is making that I think is the most difficult for Ja Morant to uphold. For Ja, basketball needs to take a backseat at this time. Prior to his return to play, he will be required to formulate and fulfill a program with the league that directly addresses the circumstances that led him to repeat the destructive behavior. Now, the last go-around, it was an eight-game suspension that included the time away already, which was roughly, I believe, what, 16 or 17 days total. Now he's got to go six or seven months. That's going to be the toughest part for this dude. He's got to go six or seven months, as well as adhering to whatever policies are in place by the NBA and the fines that will be incurred based on the games he's going to miss. He's not around any team activity, private or public, between now and then. And he can't show any aspect of what has already been done to lead us to today's outcome. So it's a six-month or seven-month trial for him to prove that he can actually do things the way the other NBA players do things. Do I think other NBA players have guns on them? Yes. They're also admitting they're not flashing them on Instagram Live at any chance they get no matter who's filming. And in this case, the most recent one, it was his buddy in the, in the driver's seat. Point being, he's got to prove, Chad, regardless of when he's back, it's a 25-game suspension. It's actually a, a six-month run where he's got to prove he can be exactly who the NBA expects him to be. He tripled his suspension from last time, right? Eight games after yeah. the last incident. Yeah. So essentially tripled that suspension with 25. So again, not nothing, but I think he got off easy because I thought it was going to be minimum half a season, which would have been another 15, 16 games. Now, I do want to address Ace on the YouTube chat who asked this question. He continues to ask it every time we bring up this topic, and I'll continue to answer the exact same way. 
I asked this question before, but if John Morant does something in a responsible way, like do a video from a legit gun range, would it be an issue? Now, this has been asked before this happened, and what would the response be versus now? Let me give you both answers here. If John Morant, if his only issue started out with an Instagram Live video shooting a lawfully obtained firearm that he owned and had a carry permit for at a firing range, I don't think anything would have happened at all. Now, maybe someone would have said, hey, let's not just pose with our guns and be about that. You know, maybe not a good look on social media, but nothing would have happened. But you add everything on top of each other with John Moran, all of his issues, all of his incidents involving guns or threats of violence, and it stacks on top of each other. And now any issue involving a gun, whether illegal or not, is a mark against his reputation and a mark against the league and what they can do to him. So, yeah, before it would have been no problem. But when you build up a rep the way John Moran has built up that rep, any issue with a gun on video is going to be a problem. If John Moran on Thanksgiving weekend, while serving his suspension, decides to go with his buddies to a gun range with his legally obtained gun and shoot that gun on video, then Adam Silver should add the rest of the season to his suspension because he has been warned repeatedly now. Is it illegal? No. Can you do that in America? Absolutely. Am I okay with the right to do that in America? Yes, a thousand percent. But when you work for a company and you make as much money as John Morant does with the National Basketball Association, you adhere to a higher standard. And when you set yourself up after failure after failure to adhere to that standard, then you can't do anything like that again. I hope I made myself perfectly clear with that moving forward. That's the expectation for John Morant. It would be a taunt at Silver at this point. Yeah, it's him. Based on the message sent. It's if, him if essentially making fun of everyone once again and oh, saying, and by the I way, don't care. He, yeah, go to a gun range. Do whatever you want legally. But the NBA is saying don't flaunt it on social media. Keep your, keep your phone in your pocket. Do whatever you want. To John Morant and his buddies. Yes. And you can, you can get away with a lot of things. I mean, it's not... This is not rocket science. We're not asking him to do something that the majority of Americans are able to accomplish every day. Not posing in a strip club with a gun. Most of us get away with that most every day. I mean, come on. Stop the apologizing for this guy. If you are a Grizzlies fan or a John Morant fan, be on your knees right now thanking God and thanking Adam Silver that it's only 25 games. You got dealt a huge break in this deal. I hope that John Morant figures it out and has no other issues, and we're not talking about this a year from now. And instead, we're talking about how the Memphis Grizzlies are an NBA championship possible team. I hope that's the case. But right now, I don't believe him. He's given me no reason to believe him. Chad, how much do you think Michael Jordan paid for a majority stake in the Hornets back in 2010? I believe I know the answer. It's somewhere north of two hundred million. Yeah, two seventy-five. Two hundred and seventy-five million. Uh, reports are he will be selling the Hornets for a reported three billion on the asking price. One of them is my, uh, a minority owner in the Hornets already, and then another minority ownership stake and an ownership guy from uh, the Atlanta Hawks. They are combining to buy the Hornets from Jordan for three billion. 
there are, you know, he's got the Jordan brand and then right behind it for $3 billion, the Hornets Three for a $275 million billion. investment in 2010. And here we are sitting 13 years later. He will remain on. He's going to be the majority owner through the NBA draft. The Hornets have the number two overall pick. That's significant because the Spurs have number one and they have like the next LeBron and the next MJ coming into the league. And uh, effective July 1st, as long as everything gets approved, and these guys have already been approved by the owners to have a minority stake in, in franchises across the league. Jordan's selling for three bill. When was the last time a major sports franchise, sorry, Asia Wilson and WNBA, I'm talking major sports yeah. franchise, big four, NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, when was the last time a franchise depreciated over time? I'd like to know when someone actually lost out on that investment, bought a team, and then four, five, six years later sold it for less than what they bought it for. It's, you'd have to go back a ways, I'm guessing, unless there's some weird out-of-the-realm thing that happened within that organization that made it cheaper than it was before. Yeah, cause because I, all these stories are about the, right. the Cowboys and Jerry Jones is the most extreme example of what he purchased the team for versus what it's worth now. But everyone gets a big ROI when they buy a big four professional team. Uh, Davey Hudson points out Antonio Brown couldn't make it six months as an owner. No. I, and I'm guessing Antonio <laughs> Brown, not a part of this ownership group of the Charlotte Hornets either. No. But the, the wherewithal to buy into the Hornets and then sell now at three bill. What's next for Michael Jordan? Anything he wants in, in, uh, in a cloak and under darkness, probably. Yeah, I mean, he has his own private. Have you seen his golf club? He's got the, uh, the private golf club. He's got he the NASCAR tie-in also. He owns a right? Na- yeah, part of a NASCAR team ownership. Thing, team ownership of 23, yeah, um, of Bubba Wallace's team. But he's got the private golf club where it's invite only. And, I mean, you can imagine what it's – I mean, that's MJ's club. What goes on there, it's, it's a lot like going to Jeter's <laughs> down – down in Miami, down in South Beach. What if Jordan tomorrow announced that he's the new Greg Norman for Live? <laughs> I've accepted uh, an offer. He's the new I Jay Monahan. I now work for Live. Yeah, he's going to be the new commissioner of the PGA Tour. He's a big golfer. <laughs> he does love the game of golf, much like the private investment fund. Uh, big golf fans. Maybe he's going to step into that role. Speaking of golf, Mark Harris about to join us from Outkick.com. Uh, the very latest from the U.S. Open, but also the uh, Live and PGA partnership. I'm going to continue to call it a merger. Screw them. It's a merger. Regardless of what they've... Uh, every time I say this, I think of another way to say merger. It's a merger. Uh, we, we get Mark Harris's take on uh, the vitriol and the overall vibe from what's taking place this week with Monaghan stepping aside due to health reasons. And everyone in between stuck in limbo thinking, is this going to go through or is it not? That's next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up in an hour, Jim Williams will join us. Seven-time Emmy Award-winning TV producer and director. 
consultant, guru, everything in between. He's negotiated many deals uh, in regards to uh, the, the sports media rights. He's got uh, inside scoop on the Pac-12, the SEC, the Big Ten, and more. I always look forward to uh, talking with Jim. That'll be a, an hour from right now. Right now, Mark Harris joins us from Outkick.com. Uh, the very latest on the PGA and Live merger, plus the U.S. Open, which is ongoing, and everything at Los Angeles Country Club. Mark, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Absolutely. Great to see you guys. Are you, uh, are you for or against the way L.A. Country Club is playing right now? Is it too easy? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very close to sending off the tweet or the take that this place kind of stinks as a U.S. Open <laughs> venue. Um, I think we all fall victim to it every year, though. Anytime the U.S. Open rolls around, we're like, oh, this is going to be the toughest golf course these guys have ever seen, yada, yada, yada. The rough is seven feet tall. They're going to lose golf balls. And we just kind of forget that how good these guys are and how long and straight they are off the tee. Um, going into the week, they were talking about how firm and fast the fairways are going to be. You know, you can hit the center of the fairway. It's going to roll 40 yards into the rough. Um, we haven't seen that at all. The average with the fairways, 43 yards, which is like 10 yards wider than 80, anything they see on the PGA tour on average, at least. So the guys are just taking advantage. Um, but we'll see how, what the weekend holds. I don't think the weekend numbers are going to be what they've, what they've been this week. They're going to, they're going to really, really trick it out. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see. It should, it should still be a fun weekend um, regardless of the the low numbers. Mark, can you tell us a little bit more about the mystique uh, of this place with, with LA country club? I know it's been a long time since they've hosted a, a public event like this, like a U.S. open. And I was really excited to watch and I'm watching and I don't personally see much that that's special uh, about the course when I see it just visibly looking at it like some other venues we've seen in the past. So what is it about this venue and the mystique around it? Yeah, I was, I'm in the same boat with you. I, I was very, very excited to see this place. The last time they hosted a professional event out there was 1940. Um, most of these guys have never seen the golf course. Rory McIlroy had never played it. I mean, you've got guys like that who can't even really get on. Um, they don't, it's kind of, it's in the middle of Beverly Hills. The Playboy Mansion looks over at Lionel Richie's house, looks over a hole, which looks like the Taj Mahal. Um, but it's, I think the initiation fee is a quarter million dollars. And they don't let anybody in that has any sort of stardom. Um, Hugh Hefner was never a member there. He wanted to be a member. Um, these guys can't get in. So it's almost the Beverly Hills Country Club, but they don't want it to be Beverly Hills. But it's funny that it's kind of, so far, it's kind of backtracking to be the softest U.S. Open in the softest city in America. So that, that's going to be a narrative to uh, follow. But the golf course is, I think it's been fine. It's got some great looking holes, but the guys are, these guys are just too good and they're taking advantage. So it's kind of turning into a, a pitch and putt in some cases, even on some of these long holes where guys are driving it way down and still hitting wedge into, you know, 500 yard par fours. Um, so, but we'll we'll see what it what it holds for the weekend. Um, the mystique is cool, but it, you know it's a little dead out there. I, I agree with that for sure. Ten twelve days ago, we were discussing all things live and, and PGA and, and uh, the tour merging uh, with the Saudi backed live tour. And now we know Jay Monahan's not there. Uh, he stepped away for a leave of absence due to health concerns. Uh, meanwhile, there are reports that he's not coming back, uh, even when healthy. Uh, what do you make of? the discussion that this merger, they removed that language from the, from the release, but the merger may not go through as planned. How much do you buy that? And just behind the scenes with the discussion, how, how are players coming to terms with the fact 
that regardless of how they felt one way or the other, they're now in the same boat a year later. Yeah, it's it's just been unbelievable. It's, I guess it's been nine, ten days now since that stunning announcement, and we still don't have a single answer about what's going on other than the, the DOJ is looking to get in the mud with it. Um, I do buy that they're going to they're gonna do their darndest to kind of slow this thing down, which the DOJ certainly knows how to do that with just about everything, um, especially when Saudi and foreign government is involved. Um, as far as the players, how they can it, – it's just this slippery slope. I was actually talking to a buddy about this, about the Monaghan angle. Um, you, you, know, you can call him a hypocrite, all that kind of stuff. But on the flip side, if kind of the consensus is he's not going to have a position – at all, you know, maybe six months from now, a year from now, when this kind of gets rolling, hopefully the, the combined little merger that they got going on. But then on the flip side, if you're the PJ tour guys and Jay Monahan's not there, who's going to, who, who are you, who's your contact? You're not going to go to yes. Right. I'll remind the governor of the PIF. So it's almost going to be kind of this catch 22 or like, maybe we need to have Monahan around because if he's not here, we got nobody. And I can promise you, the Saudis aren't going to look to hire Jay Monahan 2.0, an American older guy that's just kind of going to kind of be there as a CEO, just kind of walking the golf course because he's not going to have a say in all this. So that's going to be really, really interesting to see if if Monahan, you know, can stick this out and if the players kind of flip their switch after kind of the dust settles a little bit to to kind of have his back. This medical condition seems a little fishy and, and like a great coincidence to me. For Jay Monahan, do you feel like he may be pulling an Urban Meyer here to sit back in the backdrop while things sort of work themselves out right now with this quote-unquote medical condition? Could be, could be for sure. Um, hopefully, everything's fine medically. I don't think they would have put out a release that he's just kind of stepping away for. But if it was super, super serious, um, that's definitely a, a theory that could have some backing. Um, we've seen it in other areas of the world and government and sports and stuff like that. So it, it could definitely be a stepping aside. I, I, Alan Shipnut called it a graceful exit, the start of a graceful exit um, earlier this week on Outside the Lines. So we could see that happen. Um, but like I said, if, if the PGA Tour guys kind of step back and look at this, maybe they, they're like, hey, Jay, we need you here for until this stuff really settles to see what, what the heck we've really gotten into here. You know, Mark, we've spent so much time talking about how individuals look in all this, from Jay Monahan to Rory McIlroy, to Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson and guys who left and Phil Mickelson take the money and go to live. We haven't spent as much time talking about what the sport is going to look like now. Do you think that the sport changes at all, that the look of tournaments, the feel of it, the team aspect of it, are we going to see some big shift in the way the PGA Tour looks on weekends, or is it going to be more of the status quo just with more money injected into it? I want to say it's going to be more status quo with more money injected into it. Um, I, I, the PJ tour has certainly got flaws just like anything else, but they, they, they have a very, very good product, especially on the weekends, but kind of the kind of the interesting aspect of they want to bring this team golf stuff or, you know, bring their own live events or live versus PGA once a month kind of deal to get some spark there. 99% of these guys that are, that are playing golf don't want to play any more golf. I know that there's going to be way more money involved, but kind of getting those the big names, and you have Tiger's TGR thing, the virtual golf that's coming. There's more golf for these guys, and the team aspect thing isn't going to work if the John Rahm's, the Scotty Scheffler, and the Rory McIlroy's don't show up because nobody's going to care about it. It's already something that I think American sports fans can't really grasp and don't really want to grasp. Myself included, this team 
golf aspect. We love the Ryder Cup because it's every two years and the Solheim Cup on the women's side because it's rare. It's just, you know, like the World Cup in soccer. There, there's that mystique about it. They play some phenomenal golf courses and we, we know the names on both sides. It's split with countries. This, I think the team aspect, if it comes, it's going to be a little gimmicky, but then you have the, the gambling aspect. It's, it's another thing to gamble on. We like gambling on team sports. Maybe that, uh, maybe that entices uh, people to bring it over, but I, I wish I had answers, but nobody's got any answers. Mark Harris with us uh, from outkick.com. Mark, how, how does the PGA Tour come to terms with the fact that you have the DOJ looking into this merger, but also it's, it's and again, I, I don't understand this whatsoever. They're a 501c6 nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NCAA operates in the same way. NCAA makes a billion dollars a year off the NCAA tournament, and somehow they're tax-exempt. The PGA Tour is the exact same way. And they're still claiming that the PGA Tour branch of whatever tree that has merged is nonprofit. How can they do that with a straight face, given the fact that they were waving the American flag and pointing to loyalty 12 months ago and what was a BS grandstand, and now I'm sitting here going... I mean, at least the money that's being pumped in, they're bragging about it. And these guys are pointing to 9-11 a month ago. And a month later, here we are, and uh, someone involved that had, had, had friends, that 66 co-workers that died from the 104th floor of the South Tower. Jimmy Dunn is on the board of directors mm-hmm. who's negotiating this deal for a nonprofit that's tax-exempt in the United States of America. Right. Jimmy Dunn, one of the maybe four guys on planet Earth that know kind of what this might look like. And he starts the conversation with a, with a WhatsApp message. Yeah. Um, and they're riding around in secrecy. And yeah, like you said, he had he wasn't at work during 9-11. They were in the their, his office was in the World Trade Center and he lost dozens and dozens of friends. And now he's budding up to the Saudi Arabians. It's just it's it's so surreal. Just so many aspects of it are just it's you know, the word hypocrite comes to mind with Jay Monahan and the whole thing, like you said, the nine 11 stuff where that, that clip went mega viral again at the Canadian open um, after they announced this. And that was last year's Canadian open Poor Canada, two years in a row. They, nobody cares about the, uh, the tournament to the last hole, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's, it's just, it's a mess. It's, that's, that's the only way to, that's the only way to describe it. No doubt. And, and I, I view it as like, I, I don't know, again, I, I don't think anybody with the fund that's, paying the PGA tour, like gave the order to bomb the towers. Right. I'm not saying that, but that's the illusion they created and the BS from the PGA tour that was pointing and and had guys like Phil Mickelson and Kepka and others answer questions about September 11, 2001. And 12 months later, we're just supposed to believe that Monaghan has a health issue. I'm not feeling sorry for him. I don't feel sorry for Jimmy Dunn. Uh, regardless of where they're coming from and regardless of what happens from the DOJ and regardless of party here, this is BS at the highest level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Monaghan stuff with the 9-11, I've always wanted to know if that was just an off-the-cuff thing that he said a year ago. And then Jimmy Dunn, after the announcement, goes on Golf Channel and says, you know, if if I can find a Saudi that was responsible for 9-11, I'll kill him myself. That was his quote on national TV after this merger announcement. And then you have Bryson DeChambeau a couple of days later goes on CNN and they ask him about it. And he just kind of says, well, you know, we, we have to forgive. And it's like, man, you just, that's, that's the antithesis of kind of an anti-American. I know it was 20 years ago or whatever, but we can't, it's just messy. It's just, 
it's just it, there's an ick to it for sure in a lot of lot of corners in the whole thing. Yeah. And how much of this, Mark, is a cautionary tale for all players present and in the future to not just regurgitate what their boss, the PGA Tour, tells them and to use their own brain on things and not just echo the company line at all times because there's egg on Roy McIlroy's face too and all this. And I, I, I'll give it up to Roy McIlroy. He stood up and said that. He's like, yeah, I feel deceived mm-hmm. in all this too and feel foolish for everything that I said. Um how, how much do you think players in the future will be sure to study this whole story and change their approach to things moving forward with PGA Tour commissioners? Right. You know, I, there's been a, a flip switch in the past couple of years since basically live where the PGA Tour, you know, they're almost their tagline was we're a player run organization. And it's flipped the past couple of years to where like we have to feed these taglines almost the same way live was being fed their taglines from the Saudis saying, oh, we're here to grow the game and all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, you're writing a $200 million check to come play 54 holes in some country nobody cares about. It's just this whole mess back and forth to where, yeah, they, they have to tread lightly in the future. But to be honest with you, it might be a little bit too late, depending on what they've gotten themselves into, which the players you know, clearly did not have a call on any of this. Rory McIlroy gets a phone call two, two hours before Monaghan announces that the Saudis have not only gotten a table at the professional golf or a, a seat at the professional golf table, they're at the head of the table and their chair is real, real big. So we'll, we'll have to see kind of what the future holds for the players. If, you know, I, I wouldn't imagine they have a, a, la- a larger, louder voice in this, in this, in a couple of years, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Mark Harris with us. Outkick.com is where you can find his work. Two part here. Um, do you buy the John Rom uh, theory that Rom was about to jump to live and that was the final straw? That, that caused all of this uh, several weeks ago, now a couple of months ago. And the report that they now have a fund that will level up guys who were loyal to the PGA Tour. <laughs> what does that mean? How much money, how many billions are we talking about considering what guys were paid to actually join Live and a year later, guys that turned it down per reports we're turning down somewhere upwards of 200 to 750 million dollars depending on the the brand and the player individually. Yeah, the ROM thing it was funny kind of the noise kind of got louder after the announcement. I had not seen anything about that um prior to and it, it's tough to imagine ROM jumping cuz he's he's in the prime. He just, you know, he's I thought so he's too. one of the top dogs. It, yeah. It's just kind of it was just, it was kind of a strange theory there. But as far as the the Saudi, you know, paying back these guys that stay loyal. Um, the Times over in the UK reported it, and they've been pretty spot on in practically everything they've do- done since Live Golf burst onto the scene. But your question about what's it going to look like, I mean, is who's going to be happy if Rory gets paid $300 million and then John Rahm gets paid 280 and Scheffler gets paid $200 million, which their pockets are deep enough. The PIF is – the Saudi PIF is um, – reportedly $620 billion. Name your price. So they can pay yeah. if you, yeah, they, you can name it. If Rory wants half a billion, they, okay, whatever. We're going to, you're going to sign a 10 year contract, but we, we, we might be able to fork that over. Um, but I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if there's going to be a fine system in place for these guys to get back. I'm not buying that at all because no. they did their business and that was reality. Then this is reality. Now you just got to deal with it. Ricky Fowler, Xander Shoffley, Wyndham Clark, some of the names, at the top of the leaderboard right now at LA country club. Who do you like in that group t- towards the top of the leaderboard right now, Mark? And is there someone we should be watching that's not at the top of the leaderboard at this point? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm funny enough. I'm kind of a, I'm a big Wyndham Clark guy. Um, I've kind of been on him a few times this year. I was on him when he won the Wells Fargo a few weeks ago. He's had a hell of a year, a bunch of top 10. So I'm happy. I did get a ticket on him before the tournament started. Um, DJ, I like him too. He's three back as it is. He made a quadruple bogey on the, on the second hole today. Um, instead of folding, folding his chair up, he's, he's battled back. He's three under on his last 15, 16 holes here. Um, but another guy that's kind of sneakily down there from the live side of thing is Bryson, um, mm. three under played solid yesterday. He's talked about how his game is, is right there. I could see him posting a number, um, this afternoon to get right there in the mix. And, um, you know, it's, you know, if you take away the scores, the leaderboard is very, very good. I mean, there's there's some guys up there that should be a lot of fun. I mean, gosh, yes. you have Sam Bennett. You have yep. Sam Bennett up there who, you know, put on a show at Augusta as an amateur. Now he's a professional. I mean, you, it's clear that that guy loves the stage. And, and that matters because NBC is going to have this in prime time because of the West Coast starts. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, they're, they're loving what they're seeing. I mean, Cam Smith's down there. Nobody's really talking about Scotty Scheffler, only five back. Um, if he puts... Heck, as good as I can putt, basically, he could win this thing because he's just been unbelievable. I mean, he's his numbers are the best ball striking numbers of all time outside of Tiger's greatest season as far as tee to green goes since they've been keeping the stat. Um, he's 150th in putting. So if his putter is remotely warm, he could he could run away this thing. He you know, if I don't know if 62 is out there today like it was yesterday, but he could certainly take one deep today and get right there at the top of the leaderboard. Mark Harris, uh, you can. Catch him at outkick.com. Mark, always enjoy the, the insight, man, anytime you're on. And, of course, always at outkick.com. Appreciate you guys. Love chatting. Yeah, man. Same Thanks, here. Mark. Mark Harris there. Yeah, it's a – man, it's, it's interesting to see what happens with that fund to level up, as their, the, the, the report states, from the Saudi fund to the PGA Tour players that were loyal to the PGA Tour. Endless cash flow. What, what do you think Jay Monahan was paid to level up? That, that's the question no one's asking. That dude was paid. Yeah, he got a kickback. As some Jimmy Dunn, who remains on the PGA Tour uh, board of directors. I'd I mean, love for that question no to be asked to them when they start doing more interviews. Well, they don't have to now. He, he faced the press in the Canadian Open. And now he's got a medical condition. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I The don't medical know. condition it's, is a back issue from all the bags of cash that he's carrying out of that negotiation. I mean, I, I wasn't faulting Phil whenever he started this conversation about Saudi because, I mean, who's turning down that type of money? Generational wealth, right? Yeah, not many but people. When you start pointing and to 911 and wave the American flag and start pitting country versus country and you have those that are staying versus those that are leaving and you still, you still have CNN asking Bryson DeChambeau about it, who jumped... Those same questions will be asked or should be asked about this fund that's being created if these players take it. And it's not their fault. Just like I'm not faulting the players for taking the money whenever they left and, and did the lift tour. By the way, playing in whatever country they're in, every, one, every event but one on the live tour was in the United States last year. That's it. The, uh, the other one was, uh, what, Jeddah, I believe. Yeah, they're not going to uproot the PGA Tour and take it to Saudi Arabia. But it's going to happen here. Point being, like even the Live Tour wasn't in Saudi Arabia. Exactly. It's funded by that, that's, it. That's my point. They know the money and with so, golf is generated uh, with tournaments here. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau being dissected on CNN, I'm thinking like th uh, these guys have answered these questions for now for 12 months. And they're, they're only being asked those questions 
based on the PR stance of the PGA Tour led by Jay Monahan, who did an about face and now has a health concern where he's not having to answer the same questions that these guys have for the past 12 months. He'll leave that up to Roy McIlroy, though. Roy will be the patsy for the PGA Tour, whether he likes it or not. Coming up more on Hot Mike. An ex-employee of Bud Light joined Tommy Lahren as Fearless yesterday. He was laid off due to the company's financial losses regarding the, the failed marketing campaign involving Dylan Mulvaney and, and, and everything that went behind that. Uh, but the, this anonymous person says that all of this, with the layoffs and everything else, a part of a big strategic plan. What were the executives thinking when they were doing this? And then, of course, after the fact, we had a video surface of uh, a marketing executive saying that Bud Light wanted to move away from the fratty appearance of just college kids and men. And I mean, that almost made it worse. When you're behind closed doors, when you're talking to plant managers, when you're having meetings, when you're with the team, was there an acknowledgement of any of this, an acknowledgement of the situation, the boycott, and then the doubling down about moving away from the fratty image? What were those conversations like when all this started to kick off? So uh, everybody was upset, uh, including management. So we, we, every brewery has a plant manager that answers to corporate. And there seems to be a separation there because what corporate's doing is not reflective of what even the plant managers want. Um, and they themselves, we, we would have these meetings and it, it, nobody's happy about it. Everybody thinks it was a very bad idea, obviously. And, you know, the sales and, and everything shows that. So, um, I mean, they express the fact that they're, they were shocked. Why would they do this? What would, what were they thinking especially now this is the worst it's like the worst timing yet the best timing if a company were to try to change the way it, it operates um from a corporate level so that and that's just my opinion and many of us are talking about that like a, like like they planned it in a way uh, like a strategic uh destruction of bud light Chad, this was just as planned by InBev and Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, look, anti-cancel culture is anti-cancel culture is anti-cancel culture. I will scream this from the rooftops, and I have been throughout this story, and we are very, very consistent on this show with that. And I got really tired of hearing people trying to verbally twist themselves into a pretzel to defend a boycott on one end while saying, well, it's not cancel culture and this and that, and the left does this. Listen. I'm anti-cancel culture. If you want to not buy a product, for whatever reason, I am all for your right to do that. But when you publicly protest that everyone should not now buy that product because of a bad marketing decision, then I do lump that into what we see with cancel culture. So it is all one and the same in different ways. I don't like something, so I'm not going to consume it. I'm not going to buy it, and you shouldn't either. And let's rally everyone to cancel this product, this comedian, this actor, this politician, this whatever it may be. So I was against this from the very beginning. And I think what we learned, a good job by getting that interview from, from Tommy, and this is an interesting strategy that was unveiled, but if you buy what this ex-employee is saying – then everyone who boycotted Bud Light, all that you did was cost Americans jobs and benefits. 
That's what went down from this. If you buy what they're saying and you can listen to the interview, read the stories about it and decide on your own. But ultimately, that's what happened. The Belgian overlord company that owns Bud Light, he believes this ex-employee, they orchestrated all this to tank sales to eliminate benefits, make employees work Fourth of July weekend for less money, eliminate jobs in America, and make this more of a foreign-led country. Because it was a unionized deal here. And everyone who boycotted the brand helped that. that that's what he's saying. So, again, double-edged sword, whatever you want to call it, these are some of the problems with cancel culture well, in the end, and, and we were saying that from the beginning. And, and call me uh, skeptical, but whenever people are like, oh, you got a Bud Light in your hand, huh? The same person maybe holding a, a, a Natty Light, a Mick Ultra, a Corona, a Stella, uh, a Bush Light, Landshark, and if you're anti-Miller Light too, uh, take a look at Coors Light. Molson Coors owns Miller Light. InBev's making money. According to Google, they're up 18% year to year as of June 16th.